I don't know. There's, I, I don't know. I, it definitely, uh, I think, affects uh, my, I think, my psyche a little bit to wake up and, like, this morning to walk out and to walk out this morning and to feel the mugginess in the air and the warmth and not to have to feel like you have to put on a coat to walk outside. This is where I get happy, and, you know, spring, summer, early fall, great. Um, I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know, um, people, you know, people, we, we love Michigan. Yeah, we do, and it's great to have all the seasons. But I, I would like, I would like to at least see what it's like to live on Hawaii for two or three years, you know, to have that 83 and just, you know, I have a feeling for the first three Christmases, I wouldn't care if there was no snow and there was palm trees. I just don't think I would care. I don't think it would bother me. But it is nice, and, you know, and, and this is one of those days where you just thank God for, for beautiful weather. And uh, it is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. As uh, Pastor Brenda said, we are starting a series, a two-part series on scars. And overcoming uh, those failures in, in life. And I think we can probably all look at some point in our life and say, that was a failure. Not necessarily that you look at yourself and say, I'm a failure, but you look at that situation and go, wow, I really messed that up. That, that didn't go well. Um, if you look at uh, all the people who have had success in life and they have built empires and they've lost empires only to rebuild another empire, um, Donald Trump, as much as you like or dislike Donald Trump, he has learned how to make money and to lose money. And when he loses everything that, is, that it looks like he has, he comes back again. And that's what we fail. We do. We fail. One of the uh, best quotes that, that, I, that I have found, and it's, and it's a used quote. A lot of people have used it. But it simply says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've almost lost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And that was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan started playing basketball, played for the Chicago Bulls, led the Bulls uh, starting in uh, 91, three championships in the NBA. And then at the, what seemed to be the height of his career, the pinnacle of, of where he was, he couldn't get any better, he announces that he's going to retire. And the sports world is shocked. They're like, where's he going? You know, this is, this is Michael Jordan, probably the best player ever to play basketball. Where is he going? And all of a sudden he just kind of fades out. And then we start seeing glimpses of him wearing a, was it Yankees or White Sox? I think it was a White Sox uniform. The next thing we know, Michael Jordan wants to play baseball. He played baseball in high school. He thought, he's like, I'm going to play baseball. I've, I've won three, I've three-peated in NBA championships. Now I'm going to play basketball, or baseball, and fails miserably. Just absolute, just, just does not realize how tough it's going to be. And so you see him, he tries it, I think, for a season or two, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, Michael Jordan's coming back to, to basketball. And we're like, how good could he be? He's getting kind of old. He, he doesn't have the same spark. He doesn't have the same drive. He doesn't have. And what does he do? 
wins three more back-to-back-to-back championships after coming back from retirement. And that is why I like this quote, because it shows that in life, we have times of failure. Whether it's in business, whether it's in decision-making, whether it's in, in things that, we've, that we want to do, whatever it is, there are times. And so we want to start this two-part series today on scars, because we all have those scars. But those scars can be used to keep others from getting hurt, or even to help heal the wounds of others. We might get wounded, but we don't have to be a victim. And I think that's what I want to deal with today, is that we might get wounded. We might make mistakes, we might make decisions, and we fail. But we don't have to be a victim of those circumstances. And so my title today is Pain Heals, Chicks Dig Scars, and Glory Lasts Forever. And as I started thinking about this message, the first person I started thinking of was, of course, the disciple Peter. And I was like, everybody talks about Peter. And so I started kind of going through my mind and through my head and, you know, what else could I talk about that kind of goes along with this, you know, rising up, failing, coming back. And I was like, David, but Peter just spoke to me because Peter was the rock. Peter is the foundation, and of, of kind of like he's, he's the first pastor. He's the first one who stepped out on the stage and says, this is what God has to say. And so I started looking at his life. And Peter, if you know the story of Peter, we know that Peter went through some pretty uh, major highs and lows in his life. Peter was like a roller coaster ride at Cedar Point. And even though he failed at times, you can't consider him a failure. Peter wasn't a failure because he never gave up. Even though he had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth and swallow, he always seemed to come back. And so I started kind of digging through the Bible and I started looking at the life of Peter. In the year 1 B.C., Theologians kind of guess is that's about the time of Peter's birth. He was the son of Jonah. He was born a Galilean in the town of Bethesda. 25 years later, 25 to 27 years later, Simon marries and has children. His family, along with his mother-in-law, they settle in Capernaum. And then Simon meets Jesus in about 30 A.D. through the help of his brother Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist. And in John chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, He first sought out and found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ or the anointed one. Andrew then led Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, or Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter or the rock. So 30 years after his birth, Peter meets Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and goes, I am going to change your name to Peter the Rock. Already, Jesus is seeing something in Peter that Peter doesn't see in himself. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, at the, Peter was a fisherman, which means that Peter had not been accepted by a rabbi. Peter wasn't following somebody. Peter wasn't considered smart enough to follow a rabbi. 
he had been sent back to his family to learn the family trade of fishing. But here, the Messiah, or the rabbi in some translations, looks at Peter and says, I'm going to change your name and call you the rock. So Peter and Andrew, they are fishing in the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus sees them and asks them, asks them to follow him. So a little while later, Jesus sees them fishing. He has them follow him. And then as we kind of follow through this, Jesus visits Peter's house and cures Peter's sick mother-in-law. I don't know if Peter was praying for that or not. He might have been. I don't think my mother-in-law is listening. I don't know. <laughs> then as we keep going through, we find that Peter, next time we see Peter, Peter cast his net in the deep ocean after being told by Jesus to do so. He tells Jesus that they have all tried that whole night to do so without success. And when he did this, he was told they caught a great number of fish. And so here J Peter's on the beach, and Jesus comes walking up and goes, you know, what have you caught? And they're cleaning their nets. And in verse 8 it says, But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So Jesus, you know, they're cleaning their nets. Jesus walks up on the beach. He goes, what would you catch? You didn't catch anything. He goes, well, go back out and cast your nets. Now, if you study history, you realize that this part of, uh, uh, of the sea where they were fishing, this was a rough area. This is kind of when we think of going to the docks. Uh, the, it, the same persona kind of goes here. It was a rough place. It was a rough area. Um, a lot of times they would fish naked. And so here Jesus comes walking up, and, and uh, as my old pastor used to say, G, uh, you know, Peter probably had a pretty foul mouth, too. So here are these fishermen, they're out there fishing, they're doing their, their thing, they're acting the way they do, and all of a sudden, I have a feeling that when Jesus told Peter, in one, of his, in one revelation it says, uh, it says that Peter exhaustedly said, I know when somebody asked me to do something, and it's my job. It's what I do. And then somebody says, well, how about trying it this way? And it's like, really? Do you, do you do this? I can see Peter, do you fish? I don't see you fishing. This is my life. This is my livelihood. Why are you telling me how to go cast a net? Do you think the fish are gathered in one little area out there, and they're just waiting for me to throw my net right there? If if they would have been there, I would have caught them already. I can see Peter kind of get, getting annoyed. But he goes out, and he catches the fish, and they have to call out, and they bring all these boat, the boats back in. And he says that Simon Peter fell down, and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. First, we have Peter being called out by Jesus. And now here's Peter going, I don't deserve this. So we're starting to already see a flow of Peter kind of going up and down. The next time we see Peter, Peter is one of the witnesses into a miracle Jesus performed where he raised the little girl back from the dead. Then as we follow that along, uh, the apostles Simon Peter see Jesus walking on water. And Peter asked Jesus to command him to walk on water. So in, uh, in, in Matthew uh, 25, we read it in the fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m. of the night. Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they screamed out with fright.
But instantly he spoke to them saying, take courage, I am. Stop being afraid. So here Jesus is referring to himself in the I am version. He says, I am. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me from death. You know, sometimes I've been like that. I've, I've said, Jesus, speak to me. God, I just... just Speak to me something. Help me figure out what it is that you want me to do. Help me figure out what path I'm supposed to take. And we take that step of faith, don't we? Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, that first step of faith is actually not as hard as sometimes the third and fourth. Because that first step of faith, we have this, honestly, this, this naivety, almost like the day when, when we got saved, that everything is now going to be easy. Oh, God, I stepped out on faith. Now you're going to open the doors. When we opened our business, it was a true step of faith, and, and also Brian's fault. But it was a true step of faith. And it was like, God, I know we prayed about this. Uh, we prayed about the business. We actually, and so we put an offer together. And I remember we prayed over the offer. And we submitted the offer, and we're like, there's no way. And I was almost relieved. In, in, in a way, I was almost relieved. We gave her this low-ball offer. Yeah, we're, this is going to be, we're going to be okay. I was like, I, I can keep working, blah, blah, blah. And then she comes back, she says, oh, that'd be wonderful. I should have I thought about that when she came back so fast. And she's like, you know, this, uh, you know here you go. And things just started moving. And I remember that first step of faith. Well, it wasn't the first step that was hard. Because the first step was like, oh, man, this is great. God's going to do wonderful things. The doors are going to be wide open. Things are going to flow. We're going to do better than the previous people because God has spoken to us. God is on our side, blah, blah, blah. And then you start walking. You realize that there is still a concept of the world. There are still things that you have to do. There are still things that come against you. It doesn't mean that just because you step on a faith that everything is going to be easy all of a sudden. And then the, uh, then the things hit, and it feels like then things happen that you don't even realize are going to happen, and, and things fly out of left field that you didn't even see coming, and you're like, wow. And your faith gets tried, and your faith, you start doing this whole, well, God, you know, maybe this wasn't the right thing. God, may, uh, I must not, it was definitely the wrong voice I must have been listening to. And that's what I think Peter was going through here is he had stepped out on, on faith, a miraculous step of faith into an open sea during a time when it was windy and wavy. And he steps out, and I can only imagine, he steps out and he's like, eh. All right, this is going to work. And he takes another step, and I can just imagine his mind going, <laughs> There's, this is, you know, and he starts, and then he sees that first wave. The initial adrenaline rush 
ceases. And then the setting of what's going on begins to set in into his mind. And then he realizes, like, wait a second. I'm on the water. I'm, I'm a fisherman. I live my life on the ocean. I'm sure he had probably had friends who had died on the ocean, ships that had sank on the, uh, on the water. I'm sure there had been things that he had seen in life, just like, you know, if you study any kind of fishing, you know, uh, things happen. And so here he is, this water was his second home, but here he is walking on this water, and it begins to set in, and it begins to sink. And Jesus reaches out, and he pulls him, and he goes, Peter, why do you doubt? And for so long, I always thought it was God asking Peter, why do, you, why do you doubt me? But I don't think that's what was going on. I think Peter was doubting himself. I think at this point, Peter started walking. He realized maybe, maybe he thought that he was doing this on his own power. He was doing this on his own. And then he started questioning his ability, not realizing that if Jesus wouldn't have commanded him, he wouldn't have been able to walk on the water anyways. And he, he asked for Jesus to command him to walk on the water. He said, Jesus, if you command me. So Jesus says, come on. But Peter began to doubt himself. And so we see this picture of Peter where he sees miracles happen. He sees people raised from the dead. He sees things happening. I have, uh, you know, and... But all of a sudden, once again, doubt begins to enter his mind. And I sometimes wonder if Peter maybe had that complex where he looked at himself and said, man, you know, I've, I've failed here. I've done, you know, I haven't succeeded here. I've done things in my life. I haven't always done what I was supposed to do. He was a fisherman by trade. So I'm sure there was, there was things that went on that he was, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And so there's these doubts and these things that I have a feeling that were in Peter's mind. But it's not too long after that that we see Simon Peter with Jesus. And, and Jesus asks the disciples, who do they say that I am? So we have Jesus in the setting. He walks up to the disciples and says, just, you're around the people. You're out amongst the people. What are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist come back from the dead. But in verse 16 of Matthew, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, or Petros, which means rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not overpower it or be strong to its detriment or hold out against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose or declare unlawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven. He then sternly and strictly charged and warned his disciples to tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time forth, Jesus began to clearly show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer 
these many things from the, from the uh, hands of the elders. But then Peter took him aside, and he spoke to him privately, began to rebuke Jesus, and he, and he charged him sharp, saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen. And so here Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. Jesus is our, you know, he's, he's God. He's, he, he knows what's coming. And, he, and he's letting Peter know that there is something much bigger coming, but it's going to start with him. And then he starts talking about how it's, it must happen, that he's going to have to die. And so Peter begins to rebuke him and say, this can't happen. But Jesus turned away from Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are in my way. For you are minding what partakes not of the nature and quality of God, but of men. So here once Peter is at a high, the next thing you know, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Does anybody else have a problem where you stick your foot in your mouth quite a bit? Or is it just me? Where it's like you just... You say something good, and then you should probably just stop talking altogether and just kind of leave it alone. And here, Peter just keeps going. And that was Peter, man. He was, I, have a Peter, I have a feeling that Peter was pretty ADD like me. As I read through, Peter's just everywhere. You know, he's like, yeah, let's go. And he's like, I can't do it. You know, Peter just had those highs and lows. Next thing we see, Peter... He's with James and John, and they're with Jesus. And Jesus is communing, and as, as one version puts it, with Moses and Elijah. And the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are, are very sleepy. They're having a hard time staying awake, so they're kind of dazed out. And the Bible says that Jesus is talking... Um, with Moses and Elijah about the deceased. So it's almost like he's, and I read this last night, it's, it's almost like he's communing with them like about what is going to happen. And then all of a sudden they wake up, the disciples wake up and there's this fog, there's this thing. And it says the glory of, uh, he kind of just pulled himself back and sh just showed a, just a slight transformation of who he really was. Not that he was just 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And here Peter jumps up and says, we're going, this is good that we're here. It's really good that we can see this right now. We're going to build a place for you. We're going to build a place for you. We're going to build a place for you. So Peter, instead of being caught up in the moment, instead of being like, oh, wow, you know, he's like, oh, we're going to build something. We're going to build a tabernacle for you. And so here Peter once again, is witnessing something that nobody else witnesses. Not too long after that, we hear that Jesus is, the, he comes back to Jerusalem and he tells the disciples to go prepare the upper room. He says, go to this place, ask this person, and prepare the upper room for our Passover. And so you have, there's 12 disciples in this room and they're eating. And, and here Jesus makes a prediction. And that someone is going to, to betray him. Then you have the disciples kind of get into this discussion about who and, and, you know, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. 
And Peter, or Jesus makes a prediction, and he looks at Peter and says, you are going to deny me three times. Here, first Peter goes, I'll die for you. And then Jesus looks at him and says, no, Peter, not yet. First, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny the miracles that you've seen. You're going to deny the feelings that you've had. You're going to deny that you even know who I am. And Peter doesn't quite believe it. And, of course, the next part, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's Peter who chops off the guard's ear when Judas kisses Jesus and the guards come in and, and Peter stands up. And that's what happens when you give a fisherman a sword. You know, a lot of people, it's like, Peter was just that kind of man. He just jumped, didn't think, just jumps up and just swings. I'm not quite sure how you swing a sword and just cut off a person's ear. I don't know how you do that. But he cut off the person's ear and then as we follow Jesus, he's taken uh, to Herod. And Peter is watching Jesus go through this interrogation. And he's watching from a distance. And, and these people keep coming up and saying, oh, I know you. You know, this was like the band Kiss, you know, walking, you know, wherever they went, there were throngs of people. It was like, you know, they, they were it. You know, this was, this was the big, you know, it's, it's not like people didn't know who was coming to town. It's like when they showed up, people already knew they were coming, and people would, and so they're like, you were with him. We saw you when you were, you know, feeding the 5,000. And so, and then Peter in verse 60 of, of Matthew says, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I don't know how far Peter was from him. I don't know what the setting looked like. But, all I, but what the Bible says, as soon as Peter said it, Jesus looked at him. And I don't think it was a look of condemnation. But I think it was a look of just, I'm here. It might have been a look of worry because he knew, because, you know, it was, it was Peter when they're sitting in, in that upper room that Jesus said, Peter, Satan is wanting you right now. Satan is calling for you. He goes, I'm going to pray for you. And that scripture's always kind of messed me up a little bit because I don't want Jesus to pray for me. I want Jesus to pluck me out and remove me from the situation. When I'm failing, when I'm going down, when I'm under stress, when I'm in a storm, I don't want Jesus to pray for me. I want him to remove me. But here Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked for you, but I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Hope you make it. No, but he says, I'm going to pray for you. And I think as he looked at Peter, it was that knowledge of, I'm still here for you. I'm still praying for you. And Peter just, as soon as he sees this, as soon as, as he realizes what has happened, the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. And as we follow him through the rest of the Bible, 
it was Peter and the other, that was that received word from Mary Magdalene that the body of Jesus was no longer in the tomb. It was Peter that rushes to Jesus' tomb to confirm the news. It was Jesus appeared to Peter before appearing to the other apostles. Then Jesus appears in front of the 11 apostles, and there's Peter. And Jesus gives Peter and the other apostles the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is what I'm going to do to you. Go and tarry. It was Peter that was on the boat, and they're out fishing. And they see someone on the beach. And they go to the beach, and there's Jesus making them fish and, and talking to them. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter goes, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then Jesus goes, feed my lambs. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of Barjona, do you love me? And Jesus, he says, yes, Lord, I, I, I know I love you. And he says, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the questions a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. And I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And others will dress you and take you where you want, where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So here they're sitting on the beach. And here Jesus, face to face with Peter, is now calling Peter into the ministry. Saying, you have been following me. He goes, but now I'm going to elevate you into something greater. He goes, through all your trips, through all your turmoils, through all your failures, I still see myself in you. And I am going to call you up into a greater ministry. And then he describes to him that he's going to die. That he's going to be crucified. And then he goes, now that you know what I'm calling you to, now that I'm telling you how you're going to die, follow me. And Peter follows him. And, and then we find Peter not too long after that in Acts chapter 2. And they are in the upper room, and the Bible says, like a mighty rushing wind that filled the upper room, and, the, and, and they began to speak with other tongues. And so Peter is in this upper room experience when God sends his glory. And this glory of God begins to manifest in their lives. And so Peter then stands up, the same Peter that denied Christ, the same Peter that said that he never existed, now stands up and begins to preach in Acts chapter 2 about Christ. About the gospel. About who Jesus is. And, we've, and we pick this up in, in verse 36 of chapter 2. And it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you, 
Each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, for forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all listeners to save yourselves from this crooked generation. And the next verse says, and the church, and Peter, are those who believed what Peter said were baptized, and they added to the church 3,000 that day. Here's Peter. We follow Peter. It's Peter who walks into the temple, and the blind man goes, silver and gold have I none. What I have is, is better. It was Peter who sees the vision to go to Cornelius, a Gentile. It is Peter who takes this gospel of Christ to the Gentile nation against the, uh, the beliefs of, of the Jewish world that they thought Jesus was just there for them. But, G, but Peter takes this gospel to, to us. It's because of Peter taking this gospel that we were made part of the covenant that Jesus set. And so we have this life of Peter. And as we follow Peter through the Bible, we realize that Peter had times of failures. He had times of failures. He had this roller coaster relationship with God. And I'll be honest with you, there are times I've had that same roller coaster relationship with God. Where you step out, everything's going well, and it's like something happens in your life, you're like, man, can't believe I did that. I can't believe I went there. I can't believe I got so low. But Jesus just keeps calling us. Peter ended strong. And I think there are times when we have just incredible revelations and experiences with God, and then life happens. We have these experiences, and I remember growing up in church, man, and we'd have some just incredible services. And man, you'd walk out of church, feel like your life had just been flipped upside down, that you could, you're like, oh, wow. I have never felt like this before. And, and you just, you're on this spiritual high to all of a sudden, a couple days later, be what seems to be like on a spiritual low. And we fight battles in, in our lives, and, and, we, and we rebuke the flesh, and we claim deliverance, and, and we have this just totally Holy Ghost experience in our lives. And, and, and the things, you know, we lay hands on ourselves, and we're like, I can overcome, I can do this. And we feel like we have victory over things. We feel like we're finally on the up and up and that things are going to change. And then, bam, we just, it's almost like we fall over again. And we feel like our failures are drowning us and that we can't get up. But in Genesis 50 and 20, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being, now being done and saving of many lives. The devil wants to tear us down. He wants to convince us that our flesh is too big for our spirit to handle. He wants to convince us that through our failures, we can never rise up. That through our failures, we can never be anything more than what we are. That we can never get beyond this flesh that seems to, to hold us down, where we want to make changes in our lives. We, we look at our lives and man, I want to make 
changers. I want to do this. And, and we start trying, but it just seems like it's just so hard. And there's something grabbing us and pulling us down. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has called us in our failures. God knew that when he called us, we were not going to be perfect. Thank God. Just because we have failed doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use us. Because God can use our failures to increase others. God has a purpose for us and our scars are his testimony. That is our testimony. God needs us. God wants our testimony. We made the mistakes, obviously. There are things in my life that I have done that I know was not God's will. It wasn't like God said, I want you to go do this so that I can use you. But when I did those things, God looked down on me and said, I can still use you where you are. I can pick you up from where you are, and I'm going to use the mistakes in your life to glorify myself because there are going to be others who are going to walk this path, and they need to know that anyone can make it. They need to know that, that, that they can overcome situations in their lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of, of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. There are times when we, we have to go to God for comfort because we mess up. But God uses those things to comfort others. We glorify God through our reactions to our failures. We might have done some huge mistakes. We might have, have made some huge mistakes during our walk with God, but God needs our testimony. The world needs saved alcoholics. The world needs saved drug addicts. The world needs saved porn addicts. The, 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 the world needs saved delivered abusers. The world needs people who have, who have walked this path, who have come out of dark places. Because I'm not going, I would have a hard time going to someone. If I'm struggling with an addiction, I'm going to have a hard time going to someone to talk to if they've never been through it. If they don't know what it's like, I'm going to have a hard time going to that person. I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church where we had testimony services. And people would get up and they'd say, this is what God has done for me. And I'll be honest, there's sometimes you can't... Testimony services just off the testimony services can be fun because you never know what people are going to say. Whenever you give people a free chance to stand up in church and start talking, you never know what's going to come out. But there are times when people would talk about how God has delivered me from this. This is what God is doing in my life. I had one lady stand up and say, I prayed for my puppy and it came back to life. And I sat there and I was like, Maybe somebody need to hear that. I don't know. Lauren and I talk about a testimony of, of, of all the prayers we've ever prayed. The one that God just seemed to answer just all out was for our dumb dog. 
dog's having all kinds of seizures. He's a rescue mutt. He's having all kinds of seizures. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and he's just, he's doing all-out body flops in his cage. He's just having this grand mal seizure. And I get, and she goes, you've got to do something. I'm like, I can't God, either take this dog or heal him. I lay hands on it. I'm like, and I felt stupid doing it. I'll be honest with you. felt dumb. So I go to bed, and I'm like, man, I'm going to have to bury this dog in the morning. I wake up. That dog has never had another seizure in five years. <laughs> but people need to hear our testimony. There have been times even with, with, with Lauren and myself where we have gone through things. And we said, God, why are we going through this? What it, how are you ever going to use this for the good? Only to have other people who have gone through this, who are going through something that come to us and say, hey, this is what we're going through. Like, wow. This is our story. God uses us if we allow him. If we allow ourselves not to be named by our failures. I am not a failure because I have failed. Amen. No matter how many times you trip them up, according to Proverbs 24 and 16, no matter how many times you trip them up, God-loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they're up on their feet while the wicked end up flat on their faces. God needs us to rise up in faith and fulfill the calling he has for us. Amen. Let's stand. The true thing about grace is that I can be very imperfect and have struggles and failures in my life. But God can still use me. God can still call me and use me to minister and to fulfill the calling that he has for me. I want you to do something. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. So as I say it, I want you to repeat it. I may be wounded, but with God, I'm a warrior that refuses to quit. I am wounded, but with God, I am a warrior that refuses to quit. I want you to think about that. Think about the things in your lives. Things in your life that are struggles. The things in your life that you've overcome. Maybe this, the, the times in your life where you're at your lowest. Think about the sting. Think about the hurt. Think about the feeling of failure that you had. And even now, you probably have times in your life when you were trying to to do something for God, that those failures come up in your life and they remind you, maybe even on a daily basis. And they try to pull you down. And those things try to label you a failure. There's a lot of hurting people out there who have labeled themselves 
a failure. They have taken that name on as their own. But Jesus changed Peter's, Simon's name and said, Simon, I am now going to call you Peter. The rock. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, I'm calling you now and I'm changing your name to the rock. And on you, I am going to build my church. The pain that we feel heals, but His glory lasts forever. Amen? Pain heals. Chicks dig scars, but His glory lasts forever. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. And we thank you for your presence in our lives, Jesus. God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have moved, that you are speaking to us on a daily basis. And God, I pray for those who are out there, Jesus, those who are listening right now, who are going through struggles, personal struggles, struggles, life struggles, God, family struggles, financial struggles, marriage struggles, family struggles, whatever those are, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will look at them. Help them, Lord God, to feel your presence and to know that you are a God of grace and that you are calling them, Lord God, and that you are changing their name because you want to glorify you, God, through them. Thank you, Jesus, for using us, God. Thank you, Lord God, for using us even in our lowest points, God, and that you can call us up and use us for what you deem fit, Lord. And we praise you and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.